0: Be sharing with you what god 's been giving me and sharing with me in my own time with the lord i don 't really know what else to do when i 'm sharing god 's word besides just talk about him, talk about how good he is, and really just share what has been on my uh, my heart so uh, to start, I want to bring this phrase up we 've probably heard before uh, i 'm sure you 've heard some version of this. there are two types of people in the world uh, there it 's always comes with some kind of finishing phrase that's either funny or motivational. A coach might tell his team there are two types of people in the world who are winners and losers. I read one that I enjoyed. Two types of people in the world. Those who leave a mark on the world and those who leave a stain. Quite like that one, that was motivating. I've, I've discovered with me and my wife there are two types of arguments I have with my wife. The arguments that she wins and the arguments that I lose. <laughs> Learned that through these years. Yes, yeah. you know, I will say I did. I do remember winning an argument, an argument before, um, but even when we looked at the tape and we had our little post-game meeting, we agreed that there was no reason I should have won that argument. She, she, had, all the, uh, she had all the ammunition she needed. She really fumbled it at the goal line there, but uh, we take those. We take those as husbands. Um, in Philippians, uh, Paul brings up a similar thought, I think. He brings up that there are two types of Christians in the world. Uh, As I've been going through the book of Philippians, it's really just been speaking a lot to me, just a lot of passion, a lot of joy, a lot of hope. But really, it's a great book, a short little book, just about 100 verses total, but there's so much in it. And so I want to just share one little phrase from Philippians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, I'll have the verses up here for us. But in Philippians chapter 3, I think Paul outlines two types of Christians there are. um, And I want to just look at that. So... Let me read the verse out to us, Philippians 3, verse 15, and I'll kind of expound on it just a little bit here. He says, Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. As I was reading, I just sat on this verse for a little bit, and one of the thoughts that I Settled on was, okay, Paul's telling us there are two types of Christians. He uses the phrase, there are thus-minded Christians and otherwise-minded Christians. Basically, he's saying there are Christians who think like him, act like him, and agree with him. Um, And then there are Christians who don't. So this morning, my plan is hopefully just to get a great definition and get a lot of clarity on that type of Christian that Paul is talking about here. What does it mean to be a like-minded, a thus-minded Christian, uh, the way Paul says it here? Uh, we're going to go back in the chapter 3 of the book of Philippians to kind of get his explanation of it. But before we jump back, I want to show us from this verse to be thus-minded, to have that same mind that Paul had. That type of Christian, he says, is a perfect Christian. He says, as many as be perfect be thus minded. If you study your Bibles, you know that that word perfect maybe doesn't mean perfect the way we would use today. Uh, It more uh, closely would resemble our word mature or complete. And so his thought is, if you want to be a mature, if you want to be a growing Christian, if you want to be a complete Christian lacking nothing, then you need to have this same mindset. You need to be this same type of Christian. So that's what I'd like to look at this morning. What is this type of Christian we uh, won't spend too much time looking on the other, uh, otherwise minded, uh, just knowing that it's the opposite. It's different than the, the type he brings up uh, in chapter 3. So let me, uh, let me bow for a quick word of prayer again. I know we already did, but I'd like to do it again. And then uh, we'll just look through chapter 3 and find out what does this type of Christian look like? How can I be this type of Christian? So uh, let's go to the Lord. Lord, I thank you. Uh, Lord, again, thank you for this chance that, that I have to get into your word. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the help that your word gives us, the truth that it gives us, the reliability of it. So, Lord, I ask that you just meet with us this morning. Uh, Lord, use me this morning. I need you this morning. I've I needed you in preparing this lesson, Lord, and I need you in giving it to us this morning. But, Lord, I know that we need you to receive this truth. Uh, Lord, as your people, help us just uh, have discernment in, in taking this truth and applying it to our life help us become more and more like you. We love you, Jesus. Again, just meet with us this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, breaking down, what is this type of Christian, uh, thus-minded Christian, a perfect Christian, a mature Christian? Uh, Just a few points I want to bring up. First, I want to look at this. This type of Christian that Paul is bringing up, a like-minded Christian, is the type of Christian who chooses nothing over Jesus. This person, this type of Christian, chooses nothing over Jesus. Back up in chapter 3, well, let's start in verse 7. The beginning of this chapter, Paul really kind of gives us his, a little bit of his background, some of his struggles, some of his achievements, some of his strengths, some of his weaknesses. But then he jumps in verse 7 and he says this. He says, what things were gained to me, So maybe all those successes, all of those achievements, all of the value that I found in this life I lived without Christ, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. I love verse 8. I love the emphasis and how Firm and uh, passionate, Paul is, about this thought. Really, he's using a lot of words that, uh, that show that to us. Doubtless, he says, I count all things. There is nothing that I found that when I compare it to Jesus looks anything less than dung, he says. There is just absolutely no value I found in anything else. There is nothing that he puts over Jesus. As I was studying, I was reminded, I think that so many people, they come to know the Lord with this realization. I've heard so many testimonies that resonate with me about people who've really, they come to know Christ personally, just fr- from this exact thought. They just have found nothing is satisfying, nothing compares. You know, one testimony I'll bring up here really quick, um, uh, football, uh, college football coach, he's been in the news a lot lately, a former football player, Dion Sanders, he's a two Super Bowl winning cornerback. Um, he's making a lot of Uh, news lately with Colorado. Some of you maybe know, some of you don't, but uh, I can't speak necessarily to his walk with the Lord, but I have heard him give his testimony. Uh, I heard it a long time ago, and it stuck with me ever since. He said that he came to know Christ uh, after winning the Super Bowl. He said it was the night of winning his Super Bowl while he was in the hotel, and he realized that there was just nothing, if this was everything, this is nothing. He Even in his own words later, he said that I wish someone would have told me that when you get to the top, there's just nothing there. It's just emptiness. And so many, I mean, that's a testimony I've heard in different forms in so many people. There's just nothing that compares to Christ. Um, I love that testimony people have, but Paul is also letting us know that if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, that is something that carries, that you carry with you throughout your journey with the Lord. That realization keeps coming back to you. There just isn't anything that compares to knowing Christ, to having Christ. Uh, praise the Lord if, you, if you've had that as your testimony and coming to know Christ. But as a Christian, as a growing, mature, perfect Christian, that's something you're always thinking about as well. Uh, I want to bring up Romans 8:18, 8, um, just because there's one word in here that I love. It says this, Paul again speaking. He says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul obviously talking about comparing his life with Christ to some of the sufferings he's going through. But I love this verse just because I love that word reckon in there. I love that old word. Paul says, I reckon. Uh, That would mean I have calculated, I have determined, I have decided, I have weighed things in my mind, and I've come to the conclusion He says here that the sufferings, if I put them on this side of the scale, and I compare that to the glory that God can give me and what's awaiting, he says it just doesn't compare. Um, I think that's a good word for Christians in their growth with the Lord and their walk with the Lord as well. I mean, all the time, you have to reckon things in your mind, comparing the value of of what you have in life, what you are offered in life, and comparing that to what Christ offers, and you have to reckon. Is that what where where has more value? What has more weight in my life? This is, of course, we know personally in our own hearts, you have to constantly be uh, making sure nothing outweighs God's value in your life. But even practically, you know, my wife and I have found that this is true, uh, even for families, you have to decide as a family, there's only so much time in your life, there's only so much you can focus on. And you've got to decide what is our family, what is our life, really going to be valuing here? What are we going to put a priority on? Um, And that's what a perfect, that's what a growing Christian, that's part of their mindset. That's to be thus minded, Paul says, is you put nothing above Christ. Nothing is of greater value than Christ. You know, uh, another person who has a testimony that I, I love to hear is Pastor Mike. I feel a little jealous being in our youth group. I feel like we get more Pastor Mike than any other part of our church sometimes, especially when he speaks at our youth camps. Um, I didn't mention this to him because I didn't want him to maybe get self-conscious or, or think differently. But I've noticed this past couple years, every time Pastor Mike gives his testimony and he talks about his life, and I'm, I'm grateful, especially uh, with our young people, of how honest he is with his testimony but he always talks about how, how bad his life was before. But I, I, thought, I thought I had his life. I feel like it just keeps getting worse the more he tells it. Like his past life just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And I think it's because the longer he's with Christ, it just seems more and more like dung what he, uh, what he had before. Uh, and again, that's true for all Christians. The longer you're with Christ, it just seems less and less valuable. All the stuff you thought was important, all the the pursuits you used to have, it just starts to pale in comparison to Christ. Uh, this type of Christian chooses nothing over Jesus. Secondly, this type of Christian won't settle for anything but a real relationship with Jesus. And I'll read these verses out first, and then I want to kind of explain what I, what the meaning I got from uh, the truth I got from these verses. Uh, I think this whole section is pretty well known, uh, but. Uh, I just f- found it in a new way, reading it this last time in my own studies. In verse 9, we'll pick it up there. He says that he likes, t- he counts everything as lost so that he can win Christ, and he continues with that thought, and he says, "...and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection." And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. There's a lot of thoughts, I think a lot of words in this these few verses that would scare, I think, a lot of Christians. He's talking a lot about suffering and losing things and counting things as loss and uh, fellowshipping in his sufferings, and that doesn't seem very appealing for a lot of Christians. Um, I noticed Reading the Gospels, Jesus was very clear about not wanting people following him just on a surface level. It's been said before: if Jesus's goal, if his goal was to just gain a lot of followers, he did it in about the worst way you can imagine. Where he would just look out at everyone and say, "You know, and you guys don't have what it takes. (laughs) No one is interested in the real Jesus in the real me in having a real relationship with me." and you know, we, that verse in John where it says that they, the followers of Christ heard what he said. This is in John chapter 6. And it was a hard saying for them to hear. A couple of verses later it says, and many of them decided to leave and find a different pursuit with their life. They got scared by the reality of what being a follower of Jesus meant. I thought about that in light of these verses and wondering what is it often I think that scares Christians from. The real Jesus, or from a real relationship with Jesus, a deeper, more perfect relationship with Jesus, I think often it's that Christian word we use sometimes, sanctification, that becoming more like Jesus. One of the best definitions I know for that, for sanctification, is what John the Baptist said when he said, He must increase and I must decrease. I love that phrase. Uh, And that, I think, is what sanctification is in a lot of ways. Jesus must increase, I must decrease. But the problem with that is if I'm decreasing, then there's a lot of stuff that maybe I like, a lot of stuff that I have in my life that I need to let go of, and that's scary for a lot of Christians. That's scary for me a lot of times as well. But a a perfect relationship with Jesus, a mature relationship, this type of Christian moves beyond just putting everything else behind Jesus. It goes into wanting to understand what does a real relationship with Jesus look like? Let me read what Matthew Henry, uh, what he says about this. I love his thought. He brings this up uh, talking about Paul's uh, justification, how he got saved and his passion for getting saved. And he brings up his passion for sanctification. He says, observe, the apostle Paul was as ambitious of being sanctified as he was of being justified. He goes on, he said, he was as desirous To know the power of Christ's death and resurrection, killing sin in him and raising him up to newness of life, as he was to receive the benefit of Christ's death and resurrection and justification. A great thought about, I think, where a lot of Christians can miss the mark is we get so excited about this justification and we're a new creature. All of that's true. All of that is incredible. Uh, uh, You're saved and you're going to heaven, but how many Christians are just as excited about? killing the sin, as Matthew Henry says here, in their own life. And I bring this point up, I know, trying to, uh, and I'm sure a lot of us do as well, just trying to keep my pulse a little bit on some of the popular trends in Christianity today, uh, today, especially those that are geared towards younger people, uh, the teenagers. And there is a big push, I know there's always been, but it seems now on social media just coming even more and more. There's a strong push... Uh, for modern churches, really, to to identify and glory in Jesus' death and resurrection and what that means in your life, but not so much as identifying in that, if that makes sense. They want to claim it, like, yes, I, you know, we were saved, but the next part of that uh, seems to be going by the wayside. Uh, so many churches will uh, preach and offer you a Jesus, really, that's, kind of made after your own image. What, uh, what kind of things do you want to be okay? Well, that's, that's a, that Jesus is okay with that as well. Uh, you know, there's a, a little story that I hope makes the application that, uh, uh, this morning, but in Acts chapter 13, there was a character that's, that I've always remembered ever since I read him for the first time. Um, his name is Bar-Jesus. Let me read really quick, and then I'll make the point at the end here. In Acts chapter 13, verse 6, the apostles were going out telling people about Christ, and it says, And when they had gone through the isle unto Pathos, Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. We see later that this individual, Bar-Jesus, uh, he uh, tried to stop the Apostle Paul from witnessing to the deputy, the sheriff of the area, the leader there, the mayor. And one thing that's always st- uh, stuck with me after I read this guy's name is, you know, I feel like, and we could, I could tell you what that little prefix means uh, on bar Jesus. And some of you probably already know, but I'm not going to, because I want us to remember bar Jesus, bar Jesus. If he, uh, in my mind, this was always like a budget Jesus, like a counterfeit Jesus. Like, a, like a, there's another Jesus, like there is Jesus, but then, oh, there's bar Jesus. He's the fun Jesus. He's the good Jesus. Um, this is the Jesus that led uh, others in the area actively against the real Jesus. And I've just made that connection in life uh, where I see, okay, so many people... So many teachers uh, preaching, but like, that's not the real Jesus. They're, they're giving us, like, a budget Jesus. They're giving us bar Jesus. They're giving us great value brand Jesus. Nothing wrong with great value. We, we, uh, I use that as well. But I want the real Jesus. I want the real thing. Uh, I don't want to miss out on the real Jesus settling for a version of Jesus that I want to make myself. Of course, you know, Paul makes the thought in Philippians why this is such a big deal why we need to, why we should, as perfect Christians, want to fellowship in the suffering that Christ had and in the killing of sin in our heart and the raising to newness of life. And it's exactly for that reason. If we don't identify in fellowship and allow him to kill the sin in our life, we miss out on the resurrection power, the newness of life in our own heart that Jesus wants to bring uh, that's, that's as Christians we identify in his death, but praise the Lord we get to identify in his resurrection and power as well. Two types of Christians. One type places nothing above Jesus. They are interested in only knowing the real Jesus and a, having a real relationship with him. And then the next verses tell us this. This type of Christian can never get close enough to Jesus. They never seem satisfied in their relationship with Jesus, and they always just want to get closer and closer. Let's read verses 12 through 14. This really is probably my favorite set of verses in this chapter. Uh, This chapter here, Paul says in verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. So after he talks about his desire to know Jesus and to fellowship in his suffering and to know the power of his resurrection, he wants all of that. Uh, And if there was anyone who probably could have said, I've got it pretty good, it would have been Paul. But he said, no, not as though I have Again, if there was any Christian who could have said that, yeah, I'm, I have a pretty good relationship with Jesus, it would have been Paul. But he said, no, I, I don't even consider myself as having arrived in any way. I still press on towards the mark. Also, notice a bit of, uh, of irony here. In verse, in verse 15, Paul talks about what a perfect Christian looks like. And then here Paul says that I am not perfect. <laughs> he says, I were not already perfect. I follow after. And the irony really is that a perfect Christian, a mature Christian, is the one who realizes that they're never going to be perfect before the Lord and never going to be close enough to the Lord and will always have things in their life they need to work on. One of my favorite hymns, I think, uh, summarizes these verses and the thought pretty, uh, pretty well. Just a closer walk with thee, one of my favorite hymns. And that's, I think, a little bit of what Paul is saying here. I just want to get closer to God, closer to Jesus, no matter how close I am, I just know I can get closer and closer. I want to just make a few little thoughts, a few notes that I kind of jotted down as, what, do I, what is that kind of Christian, that type of Christian, what, what do they look like? Well, this is the type of Christian, uh, and, and these are the type of Christians that I look up to the most, the ones that say, you know, I can read, they read the same verse, the same passage in God's Word, and they get something new. I'm sure that's a phrase you've heard, and uh, maybe you've experienced that as well, but that's that desire of just always wanting to get closer and closer. You can read the same thing in your Bible and get something new. Um, this type of Christian, one who never is close enough to Christ, is never shut their heart off from conviction, and they're still getting convicted even after 20 years, 30 years, 40 years of following Christ, still finding things that, uh, that God wants to deal with them. Uh, this type of Christian loves sharing with others and loves being involved with others. You can't keep them out of church. Every time they can, they show up and they're there and they're fellowshipping and uh, encouraging and they just want more and more of Jesus and want to get closer and closer to Jesus, want to build others up to know Jesus and want to be built up by others to know Jesus. This type of Christian who can never get close enough to Jesus just always finds a new way, another reason to be excited about Jesus. One analogy I heard, one lesson I heard that, uh, that I can't remember exactly who gave it, but there was these two soldiers. I don't know if it was this was a true story or not. Uh, but there was these two soldiers walking on their way home from the war, from the battle, and they stopped by a church. Yes. One of the soldiers, one of the soldiers, uh, listened to the service and just kind of felt pretty dry about it. The music was was kind of dull, not very exciting. And, I mean, everything, the people there didn't seem that friendly or nice or anything. And so then he walked out, and he looked to his buddy as they were walking out, and he said, what do you think of that? That was, what do you think of that service? The other soldier said, wow, that was incredible. The music really ministered to me. felt like the pastor really delivered and gave us the word well. And the other soldier, the first soldier says, I didn't experience any of that. I don't know what you're talking about. I had a whole different experience in that church. And then the second just shortly replies, well, you must not have been hungry enough. If you didn't get it, you must not have been hungry enough. And I feel that with these kind of Christians often. They just always seem to be hungry uh, for knowing God more, for knowing Christ more. And they always just find another reason, a new reason to to love the Lord. This type of Christian, Paul gives us, never places anything above Christ. Always is desiring the real Jesus, a real relationship with Christ and it can never get close enough to Christ. <clears throat> One more thought I have about this type of Christian before I close here. There was just a little bit of like extra motivation. That, that this kind of is what pushed it over the edge for me to really hone in on this topic here. Um, again, we're not looking too much at what the other type of Christian is. Paul doesn't spend too much time talking about it. I just know it's a, uh, a Christian who is this has the same mindset. Actually, in the verses... After what we're going to be looking at, he talks about those who used to love the Lord, but who have walked away. That might be a good uh, description of those who are otherwise minded. But uh, we're looking at this type. This is the type of Christian we want to be. And there was just one extra bit of motivation that I had when studying this. Paul says this, and he said this in different uh, epistles, different places, in different ways. But in verse 17, he brings up this truth, this fact, that this type of Christian This perfect Christian, this type of Christian gives others a pattern to follow. And for me, this was just that extra bit of motivation that kind of pushed it over uh, and why this became such an important thing for me in my life to want to get a hold of. This type of Christian, Paul says, sets an example and gives a pattern for others to follow. And I just know that there are people in my life that I desperately want to know Jesus. There are people I have in my life that I want more than anything else. I want them to know Jesus. You know, Paul said this in different ways. He said, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so ye have us for an example. He said in different epistles as well, follow me as I follow Christ. Um, You know, one thought I've always had is like, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big claim. I don't know if I feel comfortable saying that very often to people. Just do what I'm doing. Just do what I'm doing, and you'll be okay. I don't feel very uh, comfortable saying that very many times in my life. Um, But I think at the heart of what Paul is saying is a similar heart to what I have, and I'm sure you have. There were people in his life that he desperately wanted to know Jesus, to know the real Jesus, and to have a real relationship with Jesus. And so he knew. He was counting on something. He knew that if I... Am as close as I can possibly be to Jesus, then enough of Jesus has rubbed off on me that hopefully that can rub off on some other people. You know, my dad is an incredible mechanic. You, you should all know that, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, he's the, he's the greatest mechanic west of the Mississippi, okay? Amen. I make no claims east of Mississippi, but west of Mississippi, he's the best, okay? I don't want his head to get too big. Um, but he's incredible. It was the high, some of the highlights of my early Life, my early childhood is just helping my dad, uh, just being right next to him as he's just being the best mechanic in the world. In fact, I was far too old when I realized there was a problem with a car that my dad couldn't solve. Like it was, I'll be, I'll just tell you the truth. I was like 25, 26 when we were looking at something, and he was like, "I don't know." I was like, "What do you mean you don't know? You're supposed to know everything about this all the time." Um, And and it just, it it shook me. I was like, "Okay," Uh, but he's. I've, we've never been—he's never been able to not solve a problem. He's never been able to not understand eventually what's wrong and, and how to fix it. And again, my child that I remember always being there with him. But with all that being said, embarrassingly too little of that has rubbed off on me. I know next to nothing about how cars work, how engines run, and all of that. This is a little bit of a, a confession. Don't tell anyone else. Don't, but uh, I know nothing. It's it embarrassing how little I know. In fact, I remember there was once in my life where no one else was, was at church at, at Sunday night, and then there was just me. I think Ruth was uh, when we just got married, and so there was a lady who had who knew about my dad and how good he was, and then she saw me thinking, uh, you know, probably rightfully so, that this guy surely has some of that, and so then she she asked me to come look at her engine. I was like, oh no, what's going on? So we, you know, she popped it open, and then I was like, what's wrong? It's like hell. Oh. I'll tell you what's wrong Is you got me. <laughs> what's wrong is you got the wrong one. This is not, it's not me. Um, too little, too little. You know, I, I was thinking about it. I think in my defense, the problem was I was so focused on holding the flashlight in the right spot, like just laser focused on not wanting to be in the wrong spot. With the, so that's why I don't, I don't know. Um, that didn't rub off on me. But I know plenty of other aspects of my dad has rubbed off on me. I know his humor has rubbed off on me. His looks, obviously, has rubbed off on me, his good looks. Um, You're an amazing man. Yeah, thank you. He's an amazing man as well, and, and some of his, his mannerisms, some of the things he said has rubbed off on me. Of course, we know that's just because I'm his son, and I've been close to him and grew up with him. And, you know, I was thinking about this, and it's true, I think, for every one of us in some capacity. Every interaction that we have with each other, every interaction I have with you, I'm not only interacting with you, but I'm getting a little bit of your dad. I'm getting a little bit of your mom. Uh, if you've been married for a long time, I'm probably getting a little bit of your husband, of your wife, uh, that you've picked up as well. It just happens when you are that close to someone for that long. Uh, I see it also, Pastor Luke mentioned I'm, a, I'm able to teach the, the preschoolers. I see it there all the time. I've had a couple hilarious interactions where uh, I had a little kid who was, said, that, Mr. John, that kid's really tipping me off. I was like, oh, that's your dad. Your dad would say, ticking you off. I had to correct it. It's not tipping you off. Uh, that kid's really tipping me off. And then just, this happened just a couple months ago, or excuse me, a, a couple weeks ago, uh, where a little girl, she said, we need more toys in here. So we can't have more toys. She's like, why oh, is it the taxes? I was like, yeah, yes, that's your dad. That's your mom talking there. Yes, it is the taxes. That's not in Biden's America. We can't get new, uh, we can't get new toys. But all of that, their parents, their dad, their mom has rubbed off on them. Um, I, I trust you see where we're going with the connection. Everywhere you go, every person you interact with, you're also bringing those who are closest with you. And Paul's gamble, I don't want to say gamble, his, his, his thought was that if I stay close enough to Christ, and if I am as close to Christ as I can possibly be, I know but there's no other option, but some of that has to rub off on me, so that when I am interacting with others, some of him can rub off on them. You know, I'm thinking and applying this in, in our life, in my life. You know, you are, uh, you're a parent. It's in the thick of it with all these little kids running around you. That's where we are in life right now. But I thought, you know, how much these little kids need to experience the joy of Christ, the patience of Christ. Well, then, then I, as dad, need to get as close as I can to Christ so that some of that can rub off and they can experience some of that. You have a teenager who is just going through a lot Communication seems to have shut down. You're not sure how to get to their heart and get to the problem and get them to open up. Well, mom or dad, you need to get as close as you possibly can to Christ so that some of him can rub off on them. You have a coworker and you're wondering, am I a light? Am I a witness? Is it working? Are they getting anything? Well, again, just get as close as you can to Christ and some of him will rub off on others. It's just the way it is. Paul says to be a perfect Christian means you choose nothing over Christ. You want a real relationship with Christ, and you always want to be closer to him. And then, by God's grace, Paul mentions, and the Holy Spirit has confirmed, that that makes you available for others to follow. That's why, and it, again, I would never maybe make that claim, but I will try to put that into practice. Lord, let me just get as close as I possibly can to you so that some of that can rub off on those in my life who I want more than anything else to get to know you. Well, let's thank you for listening. Let's bow and close in a word of prayer here. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you. For- we hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at the Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.